0: i 'm talking to Dr. Deanne Sims today, who is with CMHA York and South Simcoe and i 'm talking to to uh, Dr. Sims about the Bounce Back program, which is a, a telephone service um, that uh, provides a whole series of cognitive behavior, behavioral therapy programs and and workbooks uh, modules that that people can access and Bounce Back received some Ontario government funding recently, and that's what really brought it to my attention. What does the government funding mean for the Bounce Back program, which is COVID related funding?
1: Yeah, well, we were um, quite appreciative of the government's attention to and support for some of the remote delivered mental health services that are so very much needed in these times of the global pandemic and isolation directives. So what this means to us is we have had the opportunity to expand our service delivery. We've hired some more staff, we've expanded our working hours and we are um, doing our very best to respond to meet the need of Ontarians who really do need uh, supports for some of the mental and physical experiences that we're all having in response to the isolation that we're facing
0: some pretty stark polling numbers came out from um, CMHA uh, Association Ontario this week, which in the past, from the past number of years, we've talked about one in 20 Canadians uh, living with some sort of of mental illness. And this came out and said 53% of people are now concerned about their own mental health, 67%. Um, are concerned and worrying about the mental health um, and impact on family and friends. So we're now looking at 50% of the population who are experiencing obviously something that has them now concerned about about their mental health.
1: Yes, absolutely. So the polls that came out from CMHA National and CMHA Ontario did certainly paint a worrying picture. Um, So we see that folks are continuing to struggle not only with the anxiety, stress, uh, low mood related to the pandemic, but also some of the physical consequences and physical concerns, interruptions to sleep, um, fatigue, irritability and other physical manifestations of the isolation orders that we're under. We also saw concerning trends in terms of substance use. So we know that almost a quarter of Ontarians are consuming more substances and they're changing the time of day when they're consuming these substances. People are also struggling to maintain a daily routine and then also balance those expectations uh, of being productive in terms of parenting and also in terms of uh, working. So lots of folks are certainly struggling. Do you think, uh, before we move into
0: more into the cognitive behavioral therapy area, do you think that the awareness of mental health that is is happening now related to COVID, because governments are talking about it every day, people are talking about it every day, and it's really become the forefront of the COVID response that people are are having. There's the there's the income element of it, which is leading to some some serious anxiety levels mm-hmm. and so on. So this awareness that we're experiencing now. Do you think that that will continue after we get to the new normal, whatever that is, and we we start to. Sort of settle back down in our lives and, and, and be able to cope. Are we going to see people continue and governments continue to care about mental health or do you think it's going to slide back?
1: My hope is that there will be a continued focus and uh, financial and resource support for mental health interventions, resources moving forward. And my, the, the real drive behind that optimism. Is because I feel like the pandemic has shifted that view from mental health, specifically for a segment of our population, to really a population mental health perspective. So we know that it's folks who, from all walks of life, in all different spheres of our society, of all different demographics, are. Facing mental and physical outcomes tied to isolation and tied to the pandemic. So it's really shifted toward what I think is more of a normalizing and a validating of the struggles that we as human beings have traditionally had. I think that even after the isolation orders are lifted, there will continue to be long term impacts and consequences of this unique period that we're currently in that will require continued support and continued focus on some of these interventions. We within healthcare talk about either the second wave or the fourth wave of resources on the healthcare system. So there is insight into the fact that we're trying to help people to cope in this moment. And we also know that this is a longer term strategy that we also need to be employing to support our entire population in their overall health and well-being. What we're actually seeing
0: right now is a reduction in stigma, Yes, which is something that's always been very important to me. Um, I lived with um, severe mental health, manic depression in the nineties and I was out of work for eight years and in and out of the hospital, um, lots of, of treatments. And I started to work with cognitive behavioral therapy and it saved my life essentially. Um, it was like going back to university for me. It was a ton of work, uh, but, but stigma was very important to me. And I have never, once I sort of got back into being able to cope with my life, I have talked about my struggles with mental illness from day one because it's been very important to me. And what I have found when I've spoken to people over the years is everybody knows someone. They're having anxiety. They're, their mother's having anxiety. Their best friend is suffering from depression. I've never spoken to a person who was not connected in some way or affected in some way by, by mental illness. I'm guessing that what's happening now, because people are starting to reach out and people are starting to talk about it, that this stigma, we've probably made a huge jump in reduction in, in stigma. Is that what, what you're seeing?
1: Yes. I I think there is this recognition or this increased insight that people might have into some of the mental and physical symptoms that folks can struggle with. I think that we have different terms that are floating around in the media. I hear cabin fever uh, or, or different terms being used, but we're starting to really see, again, from a population health perspective, that this is not discriminating. There are, it's no one segment of the population who's, who's differently struggling uh, than others. Isolation is hard on all of us. And I think that might be helping to reduce the stigma. Whereas historically people might've thought, oh, um, you know, only people with a formal mental health diagnosis need to reach out for mental health supports. And, and We know that everyone in our communities is having some level of uh, stress or struggle. And so I think that's why it's so important that the government has responded to really increase access to service for all people in all areas of our communities to get some kind of support to help them through what is uh, a very difficult time in their lives.
0: And a lot of it might be situational. So, in other words, um, the depression or anxiety is directly related to what's happening now. When this situation of of uh, COVID isolation and uncertainty and fear that people have about income and and you know when are they going to be able to go back to work? Will their kids go back to school? Those kinds of things may be alleviated and the anxiety, um, you know, really, really, really reduced once we sort of get back. Uh, past that stage. But there will be a number of people who have had some level of anxiety or depression or, or other kinds of mental disorder who didn't even know that before and who will be able to recognize it. And then those would be the people who would continue with uh, some sort of therapy.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that one of the shifts that I'm hopeful for is that there is just like you talked about, a decreased stigma, an increased recognition for the need for folks in all walks of life for all different experiences to have some kind of support, whether it uh, looks like using online resources or whether it looks like coming in to do to do work either I guess remotely now but in a more structured program, so especially in Ontario and different provinces and settings across the country, there is that recognition of the the need for stepped care or different kinds of services delivered in different formats to meet the unique needs of everyone within our population. And Bounce Back is one of our remote delivered services that is quite accessible because it is, our our material is written between a grade four and a grade eight reading level. It's all remote delivered. People talk on the phones with our coaches who help to support them through Uh, up to 22 workbooks that we have available online and our program is available in um, 15 different languages and seven different languages of uh, written content so we really are trying to increase access to the help that people need where when and how they need it most
0: it does add another layer of um work and time that you have to put into your day and so people are uh you know we're all zoom stressed now because it what we found out what is that that it's so much easier to have a zoom meeting than it is to go down the hall or get together from different buildings that we're all just hey let's hop on to a zoom meeting and that always it goes longer and people chat and at first it was great because of isolation people loved zoom And now people are saying, and I'm talking, and it's the same with me, and you and I talked about it. Um, It's just, I can't take another Zoom meeting. I had four yesterday. And by the time (laughs) I got to the fourth one, I might have not, like, I shouldn't have even been there because I just, you know, sat and thought about what I was going to have for dinner and so on. And then you have to deal with your kids. And kids are very Mm -hmm. stressed. I talked to a child psychologist last week about the stress that kids are under, Now we're talking about you can get help for all of this stress, but it's going to take you more work to do it.
1: We certainly know that there are so many demands. And while there are great advancements because of technology, uh, like being able to transition to remote delivered or technology enabled services, uh, I myself had seven back-to-back uh, Zoom meetings the other day. And so wow. you you lose those natural breaks in your day to stand up and walk down the hall to the next meeting or have a bio break. And so I was very fatigued at the end of the day, um, even though it allowed me the ability to, to have some of that Um, screen time and interaction with my colleagues, which I have found that I've really been missing out on. Um, But I mean, I think also, if if this had happened, if this pandemic had hit, you know, 20 years ago, even, it would have been an isolation order that really just meant people going home, and just being at home. And uh, now we have, because of the technology infrastructure, increased demands in terms of, what it is that we're meant to be doing while we're at home. So parents are, you know, feel stress and pressure to now be virtual teachers or uh, educational assistants. And while also trying to maintain the same level of output that they would traditionally have had at work or with friends or with family. And um, there needs to be some kind of a shift or uh, a adapting our expectations for ourselves and for others, because even though the technology can help, um, you know, continue our connectedness, uh, we also do have to be mindful of some of the uh, downsides or some of the limits that we might have to impose on using that technology in our lives.
0: I think that that's, um, that's a, an important part of, of uh, CBT that i have used and one of them was structure and for me at the beginning it was literally i'm going to get up at this time i'm gonna you know make a snack for myself at 10 o'clock i'm going to do a load of laundry at two in the afternoon i'm going to go to bed at this time and i'm going to eat properly i'm going to get exercise these are all very normal things that people should all be practicing in their day-to-day life So just walk me through what the Bounce Back program is, how somebody gets involved and what they can expect uh, from cognitive behavioral therapy.
1: So we have, in terms of accessing Bounce Back, we have two referral pathways. People can go to their primary care provider and ask for a referral to our program, or they themselves can go to bouncebackontario.ca and self-refer which is important because we've seen an increase in our self-referral numbers, while some of our primary care providers have had service interruptions, adapting to virtual care models. But we've opened the doors so that people can self-refer into our program. And once they're in our program, our staff are a really skilled, very knowledgeable group of coaches. Who are supported by clinical psychologists. So, our coaches are the ones who are on the phones helping people understand and then adapt and then apply some of the principles of cognitive behavioral therapy to their unique situations or their unique lives. And this has always been a well received program that's been available provincially, but now, specifically in the COVID 19 pandemic, we have had. a lot of interest and a lot of good feedback from our participants because they are in unique situations so some of the tips and techniques that might have worked well for people eight weeks ago might no longer be available to them so our coaches really help to tailor while folks work through uh, up to 22 workbooks that are available online or in print content Um, to help to apply these principles to their lives. So cognitive behavioral therapy really uh, works through evaluating our thoughts, our behaviors, our emotions and physical sensations, and then helping us to um, make changes in some of those areas to improve our health and our well-being. And the Bounce Back program is grounded within the five-factor model and so through learning with our coaches people really help people really start to understand the ways in which their thoughts emotions behaviors and physical sensations impact their health and well-being in the different situations that they find themselves in so
0: you bring up the the physical side of it Uh, i don't think a lot of people know how painful something like depression can be they think you know you're sluggish you don't want to get out of bed Um, in the past it's just that you were lazy and if you got up and went to work you'd feel better but there's an actual physical pain that happens with depression and of course anxiety and panic attacks definitely are manifested physically and in fact I used to think that panic attacks just came out of nowhere. Like, oh, I just, like, I had free falling Mm. anxiety. And then I learned through doing CBT, actually, that there's always something and always a thought process or a situation that happens before that anxiety happens. So anxiety for a lot of people is shortness of breath and they, you know, they feel very strange. And then you move into a panic attack situation that can feel like a heart attack. You can feel like there's something sitting on your chest and you can't breathe. And you'll, you know, I had a friend who who lived with panic attacks for a number of years and uh, had heart problems in her family and thought she was having a heart attack every time it happened.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, the lived experience of folks who have traditionally had mental health pictures or challenges, um, the physical and mental experiences that folks have had who have traditionally experienced uh, some form of mental health struggle have been difficult for people to identify with, I suppose. And as a health psychologist, I'm so aware of this intersection between mental and physical health and the very complex experiences that people can have, and I think what we 're seeing now is this is a population mental health matter, and so people who might not have had these mental and physical experiences historically are having them now in the face of the social isolation that we 're all experiencing so I feel like it 's a bit uh, of insight or knowledge and awareness that folks might not have had before, just like you said about the real experience of mental and physical consequences um that are that are happening uh, across our communities so it is just not um you know stress anxiety uh but it is also those physical sensations you know interruptions to sleep or misuse in this time there are different more formal supports even some of which are delivered remotely that uh, folks um would hopefully be able to access and engage in as well
0: Right now, we're at a, about easing of the restrictions, um, the, the self-isolation idea, and maybe even a little bit of physical distancing we'll maintain, but a little bit more shopping available and maybe some mm-hmm. activities. But by and large, we don't know what the new normal is.
1: Yeah, well, certainly I know that our research showed that 79% of people in Ontario worry about what the future will look like after the outbreak is over. You know, about 90% were com- concerned about the impact on the economy. Um, 69% were concerned about the impact on their personal finances. And I mean, I think you're right. From from what I hear, even if there is an easing of the restrictions, it's going to be slow, gradual, and might... Um, You know, we might have easing and then reinforcing of some of the restrictions, depending on what happens with um, the infection rates, et cetera. And so, again, we have been existing in uh, a very uncertain circumstance for quite some time now. And uncertainty is difficult to deal with at the best of times. But we know that through some of our cognitive behavioral techniques, one of the ways that we um, help guard against or protect ourselves from some of the experiences that isolation or uncertainty might cause is that we try to control the controllable. And we really take a look at some of the ways that we are able to exert control, even in these uncertain times. Um, And part of that is shifting and adapting through the support, for example, of our coaches, we're able to say, oh, um, the situation looks like this today. What are some things we can plan for? How can we control the controllable in our lives right now to improve our health and well-being?" And that might look different when, you know, three months from now, six months from now, a year from now. But the whole piece that our coaches work very hard with our participants to develop is not only the understanding of these tools um, and, and ways to build plans to use those tools in their lives, but we also empower people to become their own coaches so that no matter what presents six years, sorry, six months from now or a year from now people have the skills and the tools to help coach themselves and help to adapt uh, to ever-changing circumstances to really protect their health and well-being right now, but also into the future.
0: How do people get in touch with Bounce Back?
1: Yes, you can go to our webpage, which is bouncebackontario.ca. And, um, if anyone has questions about the bounce back program, they can call our toll free number, which is one 345 224 And, uh, we are trying, like I said, to make our service as accessible as possible.
0: I'm going to let you go. Cause I know you have to move on to your next zoom call I, and I really <laughs> appreciate you. you talking to me.